0: Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that this month's podcast is sponsored by Aerosol S Medical. Who is comfortable delivering nebulizer treatments to their patients with COPD and asthma during the pandemic? Aerosol S Medical has introduced a new product into the market that addresses this concern. It's called the Safety NEP. What makes the Safety Neb special is its highly effective viral filters combined with its CPAP mask-like tight seal against the patient's face. The Safety Neb allows us to safely treat patients with COPD and asthma even if they have COVID. The Safety Neb was designed with the utmost focus on protecting the safety of healthcare personnel without compromising medication delivery. For additional information, visit safetyneb.com. That's one word, S-A-F-E-T-Y-N-E-B.com. Now we will hear this month's podcast
1: from our Editor-in-Chief, Rich Branson. Hi, and welcome to the February 2021 Respiratory Care Editor's Commentary and Podcast. I'm Rich Branson, Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today. This month's Editor's Choice paper evaluates the role of respiratory therapists in evaluation of patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease in preparation for hospital discharge to home oxygen therapy. Tan and colleagues use an online questionnaire distributed to respiratory therapists nationwide asking their level of involvement in evaluating patients for home oxygen. Of the nearly 500 respondents, 58 percent reported consistent evaluation of patients at rest 43% 43% reported evaluation during activity, and 14% during sleep. A Midwest practice location and greater familiarity with Medicare guidelines were associated with the greater odds of evaluating patients at both rest and during activity. They concluded that respiratory therapists do not routinely evaluate COPD patients for home oxygen therapy prior to discharge, and only a minority are involved in selecting home oxygen equipment. Mader provides an accompanying editorial suggesting lack of respiratory therapist involvement may lead to suboptimal usage secondary to incomplete patient education and improper selection of portable oxygen devices that fail to meet the patient's needs. This study is really important as we start to look at the current paradigm of oxygen concentrator companies direct to consumer advertising and selling um, devices which may not meet the patient's needs. Miller and coworkers retrospectively reviewed the use of high-frequency jet ventilation over a five-year period in pediatric subjects. In a small sample of 35 subjects, high-frequency jet ventilation resulted in improved ventilation, but no changes in oxygenation. Only 12 subjects remained on high-frequency jet ventilation for more than 72 hours, and the sample size was um, too small to evaluate mortality. The author suggests that high-frequency jet ventilation might be helpful in improving ventilation in this population. Maxwell and others opine that the study of high-frequency jet ventilation in pediatrics has been limited to single-center case series and requires prospective observational trials, perhaps with propensity matching of subjects from other institutions to help alleviate the problem of small sample sizes in any given institution. The current pandemic has taxed ICU resources both in personnel and material. Roberts et al explored the deployment of Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetists to the ICU to assist with mechanically ventilated patients. CRNAs were trained by lead respiratory therapists in respiratory procedures and ICU ventilator operation. In a follow-up survey, they found that the comfort of CRNAs with ICU ventilators increased only with ICU work experience. The authors concluded that CRNA's comfort level with ICU ventilators increased working alongside RTs. Austin and Burns, both seasoned CRNA educators, provide commentary detailing CRNA training and the concept of stepping over from the operating room to augment ICU care. Uh, another point of the editorial is that the use of anesthesia workstations and ventilators in the ICU, which has been reported by many and done by a couple, um, turns out to be much more difficult than most of us really appreciate, and having CRNAs there to assist the respiratory therapist is also an advantage. Bala et al. performed a retrospective review of 180 ventilated pediatric subjects with acute hypoxemic respiratory failure. They recorded end tidal alveolar dead space fraction and ventilatory ratio using these data to predict survival. They found that ventilatory ratio could not be used for prognostic purposes, but the end alveolar dead space fraction was related to the severity of illness. Kuraswami et al. compared neurally adjusted ventilatory assist with pressure support for delivering non-invasive ventilation in consecutive subjects with respiratory failure. The study outcomes were NIV failure, 28-day mortality, and asynchrony index. They concluded that non-invasive ventilation with NAVA did not reduce NIV failure rates or 28-day mortality, but patient ventilator asynchrony was significantly improved with NAVA. Deontay and colleagues evaluated the impact of tidal volume, driving pressure, and mechanical power on mortality in nine trials that encompassed almost 5,000 subjects. They examined the correlation between the differences in tidal volume, driving pressure, and power on the magnitude of mortality benefit in trials of lung protective ventilation in adult subjects with ARDS using a technique known as meta-regression. They found that tidal volume, driving pressure, and elastic power, dynamic power, and driving power exhibited similar treatment effect on mortality. Pillay et al. evaluated nitric oxide delivery via nasal cannula in a lung model. They measured simulated tracheal INO concentrations under a variety of breathing patterns and determined both mass flow and INO concentrations. Their data confirmed previous findings that breathing pattern significantly impacts inhaled nitric oxide concentration, but the mass flow was less variable. They conclude that mass flow might be a useful dose metric for inhaled nitric oxide delivered by nasal cannula. It's interesting to note in this study they use carbon dioxide as a surrogate for NO as to avoid the use of a chemiluminescent analyzer that's rapid enough to determine these very rapid changes in inhaled nitric oxide, um, a very expensive and not common laboratory device. Morris and co workers evaluated lung expansion techniques in bedridden comatose subjects using electrical impedance tomography. Subjects were subjected to both expiratory positive airway pressure and a breast stacking maneuver. They found that both techniques promoted short-lived increases in lung aeration with no impact on cardiovascular variables. This is yet another study that demonstrates that a lot of therapies that we perform in respiratory care have short-term benefits, but not the long-term intended consequences. And this needs further study. Burton and colleagues queried the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program, often known as the NISQIP database, to determine factors associated with a 30-day reintubation following aortic valve repair. Over a calendar year, nearly 6,000 patients from nisquip were evaluated. The main factors associated with reintubation were the presence of COPD, congestive heart failure, and bleeding disorders. This makes sense as one group of patients um, suffers from problems related to cardiopulmonary dysfunction and the third needs reoperation because of bleeding. Hickmanow evaluated the immediate impact of sitting out of bed, An exercise on lung aeration in critically ill patients, again using EIT, as well as physiologic variables. Subjects included ventilated and spontaneously breathing individuals receiving both passive and active exercise. Their data suggests that a sitting position and exercise increased lung aeration and improved oxygenation in the more severely hypoxemic subjects. I think EIT is gonna provide a method for our respiratory therapists to monitor the therapies that we perform and give us knowledge that we've never had before available at the bedside. Calais and Lipnick retrospectively evaluated the correspondence between the ratio of n-tidal to arterial carbon dioxide tension and dead space to tidal volume ratio in subjects with ARDS. They found a strong correlation between PETCO2, PaCO2, and dead space to tidal volume ratio, and concluded that the former could be used as a surrogate for the latter to provide a simple and practical measure of ARDS severity and response to treatment. Um, Rich Clay has done a lot of work with VDVT and ARDS, including a publication in the New England Journal. And this simplifies the ability of the respiratory therapist at the bedside to determine a surrogate of VDVT. Martinez Sekadau performed an observational study of carbon monoxide, pulse rate, and pulse oximetry saturation in hookah lounge patrons. Hookah lounge have become very popular on college campuses in the last decade. They measured exhaled carbon monoxide, pulse SpO2, and pulse carboxyhemoglobin of volunteers upon entry and exiting a hookah lounge. While there were increases in carbon monoxide, changes in other variables were clinically unimportant. They concluded that CO exposure in hookah smokers is important, and long-term consequences require study. Williams and others compare the attitudes of nurses and respiratory therapists in a pediatric hospital toward addressing environmental smoke exposures during their hospital stay. Using an online survey, they recorded caregiver responses related to smoking cessation discussions with family and screening for smoke exposures. They conclude that compared to pediatric nurses, respiratory therapists reported higher rates of confidence in providing cessation interventions, screening for smoke exposure, and counseling on reduced smoke exposure. McLaurin et al. retrospectively reviewed the airway microbiology of hospitalized tracheostomized children comparing tracheal aspirates to bronchoalveolar lavage samples. In the f- sample of 43 subjects, Staph and Pseudomonas aeruginosa were the predominant isolates. They found that negative endotracheal aspirates might be used as a screening technique, as positive cultures were uncommon if aspirates were negative. This is a little bit different from our experience in the intensive care unit and needs further investigation. Nakato and colleagues evaluated the impact of, sp- of a spontaneous breathing trial on cardiopulmonary variables in preterm infants. During a three-minute spontaneous breathing trial, they measured heart rate, pulse oximetry, breathing frequency, tidal volume, and the Silverman respiratory severity score. A retrospective review of the data demonstrated greater instability in measured variables was associated with a fall in tidal volume and rise in breathing frequency. This is very similar to the original studies by Yang and Tobin of spontaneous breathing trials in adults showing this alteration, the rapid shallow breathing um, adoption in patients who fail. They concluded that the three-minute SBT was associated with instability and the expectation failure rate was around 9%, questioning the ability of this test in this group. Moneri and others evaluated the reproducibility of the six-minute step test in subject with COPD. They compared two six-minute step tests performed 30 minutes apart in 40 subjects with COPD. They concluded that performance and physiologic variables were reproducible and the second test did not impose any additional physiologic workload. Cedarwall and co-workers mined the Swedish intensive care registry to evaluate the prevalence of prolonged mechanical ventilation and ICU occupancy of prolonged mechanical ventilation subjects. And a database of over 39,000 ICU admissions, 4% required prolonged mechanical ventilation, but these subjects consumed 22% of ICU bed days. They concluded that prolonged mechanical ventilation subjects represent a relatively small portion of ICU admissions, but represent a significant portion of ICU bed days. I think it's important for us as respiratory therapists to realize the differences in medical care around the world. that the use of long-term care facilities and long-term ventilator weaning units isn't unique to the united states but isn't present in every country yang et al provide a systematic review of active mobilization in icu subjects focusing on early safety assessments pooh and others performed a systematic review of variable corticosteroid doses on copd exacerbations Koda and Ali contribute a narrative review on the role of incentive spirometry on post-operative pulmonary complications following surgery. They concluded that data for incentive spirometry remains lacking despite its continued widespread use. This is an ongoing theme for the journal over the years and particularly in the last few years, a number of studies demonstrating incentive spirometry has very little impact. Orso and colleagues provide a narrative review of mechanical ventilation during mechanical compressions in subjects undergoing cardiopulmonary resuscitation. They conclude that the optimal mode of ventilation, breath type, and volume has yet to be identified. We appreciate your attention to the podcast and following Restory Care and hope to see your work in our publication in the near future. Have a good day. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.